before we start today's episode, we wanted to come to you uh, to address a, a, a another unfortunate topic happening right now um, in America, and I'm sure other places too, unfortunately. Um, recently, or relatively recently, we uh, recently had um, a race-motivated attack um, and a murder uh, focused on um, Asian Americans in, in this country. And so we wanted to come to you quickly uh, during uh, the opening of these episodes to, A, if you weren't aware, hopefully make you aware, but B, also encourage you to to help out in any way you can. Um, there are resources where you can give your money. We will be providing a Twitter link in the description uh, where you can go that will help point you toward places where you can donate to help. Um, that Twitter is Stop AAPI Hate. Um, that is at stop aapi hate and if you don't have the money we'd also encourage you to speak out where you can call things out amplify voices that matter um and and yeah we just wanted to come to you it's it's unfortunate that we keep having to do this um but it is something that's been it's been a problem for a long time and before this attack but we we thought we would um hopefully encourage some of you to to let your voices be heard and to maybe give monetarily to people who are who could use it. Yeah, just, you know, anything would help. I know we're obviously not the people that need the help, but just any if we could do anything, definitely um, just anything you can do to help would be great. You know, it sucks that this kind of stuff keeps happening. It saddens me every time I have to see something like that, and I'm sure it's, you know, a billion times worse for people that are more affected by it than me. So, yeah, just thought we'd let you know, provide some resources, that sort of thing. For sure. And if anything, you know, be mindful. Um, be mindful of the things that are said. Be mindful of the things you said. I, I think that this attack in particular, but I'm sure a lot of others, um, especially over the past year, I I, I kind of see as a direct result of one of the most or the most powerful person in the world um, calling the COVID-19 pandemic the China virus, right? So it, words matter. Um, they matter a lot. So if if anything, if nothing else, please consider the things you say. Um, particularly when you're attaching a massive group of individuals to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry to, uh, well, I'm not sorry to bring everybody down. I'm, I'm sorry it happened. <laughs> like, it's a really unfortunate thing, but we felt like we needed to come and say something. Um, hope you enjoy the show, but also more importantly, if you can give, give. If you can say something, say something. Um, but at least do one of those things. Yeah, but do enjoy the episode. Yes. Hello and welcome to a very little episode of Safe Station Radio. And I say little because this time we're talking about little nightmares. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me is my co-host, Connor. Hello there. And yeah, we are talking about, of course, the game developed by Tarsier Studios uh, and published by Bandai Namco. It's pretty much been released on every major platform, PC, PS4, Xbox One, 
2017, April 28th, which actually is later than I thought. For some reason, I thought this was like a 2016 game. I don't know why. Yeah, it just it's it also seems weird because it is a, a sort of horror themed game, but neither of them were released anywhere close to like the Halloween season. <laughs> it's there's going to be a lot of like play dead uh, so limbo and inside comparisons here. Those games also never come out around Halloween. <laughs> Oh, well, so it was like May time. Um, I guess that's the that's the real Halloween. Yeah, and then the Switch version came out May nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Oh no, twenty eighteen. Which you you made note of here, saying um, it's only sold as the complete edition, so that version comes with all the DLC. Yeah, there is other cosmetic DLC with the two masks, which are is available on the other versions as well. But uh, the other versions don't. There's versions that don't have the bonus story DLC. Uh, the Switch version just has that as the only version to buy. The story DLC, uh, which is called Secrets of the Maw, uh, was split up into three parts. There was three chapters, each with their own level. Those being The Depths, which released on July 10th of 2017. The Hideaway, released November 10th of 2017. And then The Residence, released February 23rd, 2018. Do you want to... You, you've got all of our notes on Tarsier Studios themselves. Why don't you tell us about them? Because they're quite interesting. And honestly, it's one of those things you're going to hear some stuff about them and go, oh, that's weird that they made this jump. And then if you think about it, you're like, I guess that's not that weird at all. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'm going to skim over their earliest thing because we'll get into that next episode. But uh, for right now, it'll be mostly like their kind of later stuff. Uh, Tarsier Studios, which was founded in 2004 as Team Tarsier. They changed the name after they started working on projects with Sony and Sony Interactive Entertainment. I mean, if you go in the Wayback Machine, find old sites that are Team Tarsier, it's whatever. They didn't stick with the name for long. So in 2005, they were at E3 and they showed a game called The City of Metronome. And this game was going to be set as a launch title for the seventh generation of consoles. I think they were specifically targeting the PS3, but I couldn't... um, It might just be a feeling. I don't remember if I had any evidence for that. But anyway, it was going to be right around that launch. But they failed to find a publisher for the game. Like, the game was pretty far along in development. But they failed to find a publisher. So eventually they just canceled it in 2007. It was also kind of back in the day where indie publishing wasn't really a thing. Yeah, it was before the the digital storefronts really took off. So I get them physical disc copies, unfortunately. Yeah, and the city of Metronome has a lot of information about it, and I'll go more into depth on the next one when we talk about Little Nightmares 2, because apparently it has some connections with that game in terms of, like, setting and stuff, and I didn't want to spoil myself on that game yet, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, After that, though, after they, you know, sort of abandoned that project, they were picked up by Sony and some of their subsidiaries to work on uh, a few other things. So first they worked on some costume DLC for Little Big Planet 1 and 2. Uh, I couldn't find what specific ones they worked on, but just costume DLC for right then. Uh, then they were tasked with porting the game Ragdoll Kung Fu to PS3 as Ragdoll Kung Fu Fists of Plastic in 2009. Fun facts about Ragdoll Kung Fu. It was developed by the Uh, key team members that would then found media molecule when they made the game in 2005 and it was also the first third-party game to be released on steam that is so wow 
You got your uh, Half-Life 2s and your Ragdoll Kung Fu. There you go. That's all you had on Steam in 2005. Is that still up? Yes, uh, the original is still up on Steam. That's cool. Uh, I don't know what the port added, if anything, but it's on PS3 there, and uh, Team Tarsier worked on it. Um, So then, you know, having this sort of experience with media molecule stuff, (laughs) essentially, they were then tasked with co-developing Little Big Planet PS Vita. I don't remember who they co-developed that with. It might have just actually been the core media molecule team, but they're credited as developing that. Also very underrated. That game's great. I still have yet to play any big little big planet game, so we'll get there. They also after that they developed the DC Comics Premium Level Pack for Little Big Planet 2. <laughs> Part of their team were called for art, sound, and design help on Little Big Planet 3. So they moved up from their DLC days to being full helpers. And then they co-developed Tearaway Unfolded for PS4, the port of the Vita version. And that was co-developed with Media Molecule themselves, but Tarsier Studios was the primary developer for that one. Very cool. Yeah, so they have a lot of experience with the early Media Molecule stuff and all the little Big Planet series, so a pretty interesting connection to see. So then to move on to talking about the actual game, that connection makes a lot of sense when you actually think about it and think about how Little Nightmares controls. It feels like Little Big Planet. <laughs> like... Yeah, the platforming ways. and the puzzle solving kind of, it definitely feels like Little Big Planet from what I've played. But even the art direction, like, if you squinted at this game, you'd be like, wow, that's a crazy Little Big Planet level somebody made this horror-themed, you know, creation. Like, it looks like it came out of that engine, which is really interesting and I think kind of neat. Yeah, so in around uh, 2014, 2015, which I pr- think was probably around the time... When did Little Big Planet 3 come out? That was... That's about then. It, it was a PS3 and PS4 game, so... Okay. 2015 um, probably sounds right. Probably the latest that could have happened. Yeah, and then Tearaway would have been after 2014, probably. So right around that time, they put out a teaser trailer for a game that was simply just called Hunger, and it was this puzzle platformer with heavy horror elements and stealth, and then... It showed the little kid in this world that was way too big for them, and it got pretty, like, it, it was pretty different from stuff they had seen. It was a team that they didn't people didn't really hear about. Uh, obviously, the game would be rela- renamed to Little Nightmares before its release in 2017. Apparently, in the reason for that was they didn't want their game to just be called Hunger, because then if you're going to Google it, it would you would have to type Hunger Game, and then you just get the Hunger Games. Yeah get that seo going so i think little nightmares is a better name anyway but there oh, you go. there's the reason yeah just to round out their timeline because uh get the full thing here uh after this game released they had a few games they made static institute of retention for playstation vr that also released in 2017 uh and they developed the stretchers for nintendo switch in 2019 i want to play that game so bad it looks yeah, like so much it's co-op. Fun. We can do it. Yeah, we should do that. That, that that's one of those that came out. And I'm like, oh, nobody's gonna play that with me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll it play looks it like with a you. good time. Yeah. Um, and then their latest game is Little Nightmares Two in 2021.
Yeah, so Little Nightmares, um, as, as we noted earlier, it is a puzzle platformer, a horror-themed puzzle platformer. Um, like I said, it does control a lot like Little Big Planet. Like it's got that heavy feel to the jumping. Um, a lot of people compare it to Limbo and Inside, which I think is apt. It does have that sort of sluggish movement. It also has that same sort of trial and error design where there's going to be a lot of deaths that you're just going to die a lot in this game. No matter how good you are, I feel like there's a lot of unfair like things that will happen to you and it's kind of about memorizing that stuff. It's also got some stealth elements hiding from some monsters and uh, that's kind of that's kind of the game <laughs> like you can interact with objects you can pull levers and carry stuff but like for the most part it's fairly simple um i guess you have a light you have a little lighter to help you light brighten up dark areas which is most of the game but yeah just in broad sense that's the that is the experience yeah and uh this game's structure is split up into uh five chapters there's basically a full level for each of them and each one has with the with the exception of the first level each one has their own different monster that has different tactics for sort of avoiding and dealing with them which i find pretty cool uh the setting also changes up for each level so you get a different feel for each of them uh that art style that sort of has this weird mix of like cartoony style with the main character having this bright yellow raincoat and this like sort of bigger head than their body uh that's great it feels very little big planet there but then like the environments and monsters especially are like grotesque uh so that kind of mishmash they still the monsters still feel cartoony but in a like really messed up kind of cartoon way it's like a nightmare before christmas like that like tim burton like like kind of disturbing yeah if they took it less comedic and more just straight up scaring you yeah totally it's like the the practical work in beetlejuice so we're tiptoeing into it then what what are your feelings on the game like overall uh i really liked this game honestly it was one that uh i i took my time with it it the game only runs you about like three hours total uh if you do the dlc it's a little bit longer than that but it was one that I sort of took my time with. I did about like one level per day until I got to the end. And it, it definitely was a unique experience. And it was one that I found interesting and had to just sort of like think about afterward. And then for the next couple of days, as I continued to think about it, it kind of got even better in my mind, uh, specifically the way this sort of ambiguous, uh, story plays out with no dialogue i found that really intriguing uh the level design and gameplay i found like i'm a person that doesn't have a lot of patience for stealth games because i'm just an impatient person anyway but i found that like sneaking around and sort of seeing the enemy patterns was pretty engaging so it didn't feel overly slow it felt deliberate and yeah i i've super enjoyed this game it was well worth all the time I put into it, so. Interesting. Um, that no, that's that's good to hear. I, I thought it was okay. Like I had lots of issues with it, and now granted, a lot of them I think may be tied to the version I played, which was the Switch version. Yeah, for the record, I played the PS4 version. I played it off of the PS5. Yeah, and so I, I feel like some of these issues. I had kind of permeated throughout the entire experience, which kind of hindered, especially in the gameplay sense. I agree with you about the wordless story. About I, I like that. I I don't necessarily love the story because I don't really think it has a point. <laughs> but 
uh, and we'll get into that specifically. Uh, but I, I love the imagery. I, that, and I think that's honestly what this game is to me. I think if you go into it, not expecting like a really well-crafted narrative, but more like a... Like, to me, this feels like an excuse to run you through a bunch of really cool horror imagery. You know what I mean? Like, more than it does an actual narrative. And I think that yeah, that for was sure. not... So, I was expecting a narrative. So I think I was slightly disappointed in that. But I do love the visuals. It um, it kind of looks like a diorama, the whole thing, which I think was a really cool approach. I love the big world, and you're the little little child with the yellow raincoat. I thought, artistically, that's amazing. Yeah, I think we've talked about this on the show, but that's Dustin's aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. Um, but I love the contrast of the bright yellow raincoat against the darkness. I think that that is like, amazing for composition in the shots in the game. I think it looks wonderful. I guess I should back up and explain this specifically. The Switch loading times are atrocious. Yeah, I can believe that. They're awful. And, like, individually you might think, oh, this is, like, 10 seconds. It's not that big of a deal. But this is a game, like I said, that's based on trial and error. So a lot of the platforming just becomes super frustrating when you're on your fifth attempt. (laughs) And then you're waiting for that load screen again. And, like, I am not a very patient person when it comes to platformers. I will just ram my head over and over again against the wall, which I like. Like, that's not a uh, critique of the genre. I love that stuff. Like, I love Crash Bandicoot, but I'm not good at it, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm very much a... I, I'm just going to bang my head against the wall till it breaks kind of player. <laughs> but that does not work with this kind of game with these bad loading times. Because what happens is I essentially get into my own head where, like, it'll take forever for me to load into the same spot. I have to do the same slow stealth sequence to get to the part where I have to platform again, and then I fuck up the platforming and then I have to wait for the load screen again. And then by the time I get to the platforming bit again, I'm nervous about fucking it up. And then I fuck it up because I'm nervous. You know what I mean? And so I felt like that just compounded the issue. And I just found a lot of those sequences pretty frustrating. Yeah, I could definitely see why that would be the case. Uh, I did. I do kind of understand, especially if you, if the checkpoint is like before a stealth sequence or before a longer sequence up to a part where you make a mistake... Uh, I definitely had that happen a couple times. Uh, We also should mention this isn't a strictly 2D platformer. It's a 3D, but like the camera's fixed. So not quite 2.5D where it's like just planes. It's a full 3D environment, but the camera's fixed in one spot. Yeah, it's like you're peering into a diorama and you can move to the background or the foreground. Like it's it's, it's like, like you're peering into, you know, a box or whatever. Yeah, and I found that, like, a cool aesthetic, but there's a couple times when you have to walk across just narrow platforms where the perspective can kind of get you. So there was a part where I did this sort of long sequence and then got to a part where I had to walk across a a narrow platform, and I just slipped off and then had to do the sequence again. So that's a little bit frustrating. But when I was playing the PS4 version, and I don't know if this was due to the fact that I was playing it off of a PS5 or not, I, like, did not experience... Every load time was, like, less than five seconds at the most, so... Yeah, and I bet that is better, and I bet that would make a huge improvement on the experience. Um, I will say to the camera angle stuff, for the most part, I feel like that works fine. I agree with you. Some of the perspective is off uh, and can be frustrating there. There were a co- there are a couple rooms in this game, especially in the third chapter, that are really long, and you can't see the whole room, um, and you're stealthing around enemies that I found to be particularly frustrating because you can't, you don't have a full view of what's happening. So oftentimes I found myself getting caught in those rooms because I couldn't see the enemy or what they were doing and I had to move. 
So the camera doesn't always work, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah, in situations like those, I do want to um, praise the sound design of this game, though, because I played most of this game with headphones on. I, you know, the PlayStation lets you plug it into the controller. And the sound cues for enemy movement and just sort of like environmental objects, uh, especially one of the enemies pretty early on, uh, is blind. So you have to use sound to sort of divert him. Uh, I found that to be really great. So in some of those longer rooms where it's sort of like a bunch of rooms stitched together, but the enemy can still see you from one side, I found that to be sort of a little bit easier to be like, okay, I can hear the enemy over there. So this is definitely a game to consider playing with headphones rather than just, you know, kind of fumbling your way around maybe even a handheld switch speaker. But like, yeah, the sound can definitely help you out there. Yeah, no, and the sound design in general is really good. Um, it doesn't so much have a soundtrack I could hum to you, but I feel like in general, the uh, the sort of soundscape of the world, because uh, you're mostly in a big ship, and that sort of lonely, like, like you hear it settling. I feel like they did that expertly, uh, and it's really unsettling. Oh, yeah, and also the, all of the levels will slightly tip back and forth because you're on a boat. I love that yeah. little detail Yeah, there. you'd forget sometimes, too, because some of the environments don't look boat-like. And, like, you'd be like, oh, am I, like, what's going on? Oh, it's the boat, <laughs> which is really cool. The boat's rocking, um, yeah. But to get back to that stealth stuff... I. Yes, I agree that headphones probably help, but I still think there's a lot of animations in this game where an enemy will walk up to a counter um, and they'll just hang out there for a while. <laughs> so, like, if you can't see what they're doing, if they're facing you or not, I still don't think it completely solves the issue. Also, I just found... It's interesting that you say you like the stealth in this game compared to other stealth games. I find it super frustrating. And maybe that's because I like other stealth games um, and we're just different players in that sense. But, like, there's a lot of times in this game where I just wish I could have observe the enemy and learn their patterns and that thereby learning the most efficient route around the, the level rather than because it's not pattern based it's more based on where you are so if you say you started on one side of the room the enemy's you know walking back and forth between two counters once you start moving to the other side of the room the second you get over the, there the enemy's ai pattern will change so it goes close to you which is a wonderful trick the first couple times but once you learn that throughout the experience, it kind of takes away some of the horror and some of the surprise. Once you kind of, like, I would get into new rooms and go, okay, the second I get over to the other side, the enemy's going to walk over there. Like, I just know that at this point because of the way this game is designed, and I did find that a little, uh, it, it could be a little frustrating too, it, especially compounded with the loading times and the having to redo stuff. It just felt like I was waiting around a lot longer than I would have been in, say, a more traditional stealth experience. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. I found... I guess some of the parts where the stealth shines for me especially is where you're using the environment more as just like a puzzle to stealth around. Since the enemies are so huge, there's not really a lot of chances to, you know, you're not going to just kind of slip past them barely. They're going to be huge. So when you're using these narrow pathways like walking on rafters or going in the little um, little tunnels underneath the floor, then it becomes more of like planning where you're going to go and then avoiding things that'll get you caught. Uh, especially if you're like walking around on the rafters, a lot of the times they'll put like little jars or stuff around there so that you knock it off and it'll break and alert the enemies. Uh, so in that aspect, I feel like 
it becomes a little bit more puzzle focused uh, especially since you could pick those up you could you could pick up those jars and like throw them to a different spot and then you can move freely a little bit so um, I don't know I kind of liked that aspect I could definitely see where it would be frustrating if you got caught because especially in like that second chapter I got caught a lot because I was just being reckless but uh, yeah it feels very deliberate to me yeah and that's fair this, that could just be down to a preference thing um and, and you know to give it credit i think there's a lot of set piece moments that use the stealth very effectively um one of my favorite moments in the whole game is there's a sleeping enemy on a bed and you have to grab something off a wall but it makes noise when you um, get it off the wall so you have to run under their bed as they get up which i thought was like very scary and really well done um and it has a bunch of moments like that so you know i, I to give it credit it does use that stuff effectively on occasion i just feel like the average encounter involving the stealth where you're just running under counters and stuff was not my cup of tea if that makes sense yeah i, I can understand that um I'm trying to think if there's anything else to know oh i think the second half of the game is significantly better than the first half which i think is unfortunate because it's also a lot shorter like the last two levels i thought were awesome yeah for completely i feel like it's really I think t chapters two, four, and five are the standouts for me. Like three dips a little bit, and one is, you know, Three's the, the intro level. The but yeah, I feel like three is where it dips, but two is pretty good, and then four and five are the best in the game. So they're the best in the game, and they, and to be honest, they're the best in the game because they almost completely drop stealth, in my opinion, and they kind of make it more about set piece, running, platforming moments, which I feel like this game is better at, um, and I. Yeah, I, I and that could be preference like, as well because we're more yeah, totally, platformer fans. But totally, but like, well, I, I love stealth games. Like, like to be honest, um, but like, yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I kind of wish the whole game was a little bit more designed like this. That being said, I think the, I think that also feeds into my issues with the story where those chapters feel completely separate from the other three chapters before it. It it, it feels like a weird, like I said, the a kind of a mishmash of horror imagery rather than a cohesive tale that I, and I think chapters four and five really contribute to feeling like a different thing. Not a worse thing, not a better thing, but a different thing. And I do feel like that was kind of an issue. I feel like story-wise, one and two are the separate ones, whereas three sort of leads into four and five. But one and two, I feel, I don't know, I just have, I don't super understand. Uh, and there's, it's a very ambiguous story as well. So, you know, there's lots of fan theories and, stuff like that to find but yeah it's it's more intriguing than it is engaging while playing you know yeah um you know i do want to reiterate though i love the monster design i love the world design i think it's i think it's great um and and yeah i, I love the main character design too like art wise i think this game is incredible i love seeing what the next room looked like and what everything like that's what kept me going basically is like ooh, what's gonna happen next what's gonna what's gonna look like next it just like i think my issue with the story i just felt like it felt more shallow than i was expecting especially and maybe this is this is definitely unfair but especially with those limbo and inside comparisons i was maybe expecting something i could sink my teeth into you know what i mean rather than something that kind of felt like oh okay you guys are just wanting to do cool art things and yeah, there's fan theories, but I just don't feel like any of that stuff is super deep. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you, maybe you've got something that is different from what I've got. But yeah, that that I think that kind of sums up my thoughts on it. I am very excited to get to the sequel and to see how it has improved and what they've done to it. Um, 
Like, like don't get me wrong. No, none of this stuff has turned me off from playing the next Little Nightmares game. I'm super excited to get to it. Oh, for sure. One last little thing to note about the Switch version, by the way. Again, not the game's fault. Uh, I think the Switch's fault. This is the first Switch game I think I've played that has forced me to hold down triggers for a long time. Because <laughs> those oh, are... yeah. You have to hold down to crouch and hold down to hold things. And, man, I don't think I've realized till playing this game how bad the Pro Controller's triggers are. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of weird having to hold down the triggers when they're not analog. They're, you know, it buttons. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. It, um, I you know, not the game's fault at all. That's, you know, the platform's fault. But I, I wanted to make note of that. If you are planning on playing the Switch version, it doesn't feel great <laughs> the entire time. Uh, that's aside from the loading times. But, yeah, that's basically what I have on the game. I kind of monopolized the time there. Do you have any anything else you want to add? Um, I would say if you're planning on getting this game, definitely get the complete edition with the DLC. I found uh, we're not going to spoil like hardly anything about the DLC because it's kind of unknown, especially to me where I was like, I kind of know what the main game's doing, but the DLC was like, I knew nothing about. Uh, but definitely consider playing it. It's about half as long as the main game. And uh, I found it to sort of just add a little bit um of elements to the main story i found that neat but uh it just has more of the gameplay and it has a couple of unique ideas that i found really enjoyable so uh again not going to spoil it but definitely give that a shot yeah i largely agree um it has the only story moment in the entire game that i was like oh that's cool so you know like like from a story perspective where i was like oh that's kind of neat i will say with that dlc you do play as a different character that doesn't have that sort of iconic or not uh, you know like very identifiable yellow coat your colors are a lot more muted and that did there was a couple instances where i felt like i lost the character in the darkness of the scene not nothing too major but that did happen a couple of times within that dlc so just a warning yeah on that. i agree with you there it's it's just a, just as dark as the main game but you don't have a bright character so yeah i, I agree i think it's worth a shot i again would advise people not to play the switch version <laughs> uh yeah it's not if it's the only platform you have, definitely give it a shot. But if you have other options, definitely seek out the PC or PS4 version or yeah, Xbox, yeah. I guess. So we're going to move on to spoilers. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoy. favorite monster design go uh my favorite monster design has to be fuck hands mcmike (laughs) (laughs) it's not his character name but that's all i could call him for the whole game was fuck hands mcmike he's definitely the most unique he's definitely well i'm glad you know who i'm talking about his official name is the janitor uh he's the enemy of the second level but yeah fuck hands mcmike he's the one that's uh blind and it's really weird though because it looks like his skin is like peeled down from the top of his head yeah really gross but yeah he's blind so he just uses these extremely long arms to just sort of reach around the stage and he can reach under tables at you and yeah i found him really really creepy yeah totally i i completely agree my least favorite the uh the woman at the end (laughs) oh the the geisha yeah little generic like i think that feeds into like why i don't think the story is that great like she gets a final boss fight and i'm like 
I feel like I had more of an attachment to the chefs and I would rather have taken them out. Like I was more like looking for that cathartic moment where like we we killed them instead and instead it was her and I just felt like I don't really know who this character is. Like I feel like we get only a couple moments with her and so I don't really feel that threatened or or you know frustrated with her in that way. Whereas the chef characters, I, again, probably the longest and worst part of the game is chapter three. I, I did not like the stealth sequences, so I was like, I kind of want to, I want a moment of catharsis where we get to handle, where we get to deal with them. Um, so I think I was a bit disappointed we didn't get that at the end. Yeah, it sort of, she's more of a villain contextually rather than like on her own, where there's a couple of scenes that show her being like, the manager or leader with this whole operation so in a way it's like everything that you've dealt with through the game was in part her fault so it's sort of that catharsis i guess but if you don't connect with it that way that's totally understandable i think the problem is we only see her like what at the end of chapter three beginning of chapter four and chapters four and five basically make up, what, 30 minutes of the experience? Like, it's the shortest section of the game by far. And so it just feels like this main bad guy kind of just shows up at the end of the game. I don't, you know, like, I just yeah, feel like there's it's a little, a little... There's a little uh, foreshadowing hint right at the start of the game, but that's it. Yeah, I, I just found it... I was a bit disappointed in that. I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of spooked by mannequins, though, so that whole Oh, that seems five, great. Yeah. Yeah. Sneaking that seems around, great. not sure, not sure which mannequin is going to be her or not. Like I found that really cool. Yeah, and, and as frustrating as it was because of the load times on it, I, I did like the boss fight. <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of fun. Chapter four is awesome, though. Can we just talk about chapter four, the best this is part the of the game. Spirit away chapter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the set piece action chapter, and I feel like it it does it so well. <laughs> like having these big gluttonous dudes, which I think is probably what the theme of the game is i think <laughs> gluttony i yeah, guess it's probably the theme is hunger but like i don't know what to what end that means yeah i just loved it so much like like that part where you run across the counter and you're knocking over like bottles yeah of wine they're all and reaching shit. at you yeah it's so good i actually got caught by the first guy at that table so many times and he just straight up eats you <laughs> he just puts you in his yeah. mouth <laughs> yeah it's awesome uh, and at the end set piece where you are running from them and it's just like a tidal wave of them after you. Yeah, it's just a like the animation pulsating is so mass good. of them. Yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, I like how all of the main character's name is Six, and I don't know where in the game, if at all, it tells you that. But... In the menu when you select the character is the only place where their oh, name is okay. referenced. Okay, cool. I was honestly like, oh, it's just something they said in like everywhere else and not in the game. But OK, but I like how Six's animations are very subtle and very sort of um, sort of like that sort of like a stop motion effect to it where they're very just sort of they're fluid, but they're uh, just very small. But it's the complete opposite with all of the rest of the characters where they have these like big sweeping movements and just like heavy uh footsteps and movements to uh, you get a lot of weight with them or in the case of the geisha it's just like there's nothing where she's literally could just be a mannequin i find all of that really effective especially with uh fuck hands mcmike and the uh 
all of the patrons in chapter four. It definitely has that great animation feel to them. Shout out to the little little triangle dudes. The gnomes. Especially in the DLC. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, let's talk about the DLC. What did you think about it? I enjoyed it. I do feel like a lot of the problems I have with the main game do carry over, unfortunately. But I think chapters two and three of the DLC, I like the structure. It feels different. It feels like they were trying something new by having multiple paths. You still have to do everything, so it's not like a choice. But I thought it was cool. Um, and I liked making friends with the little gnomes in chapter two. To Again, it was another very spirited away Yeah, where you're sequence. helping them ho- um, hoist the coal into the boiler. Yeah. Which I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed all of that very much. There was a moment, and I should have talked about this before this, so apologies, listeners. I thought that chapter in particular, chapter two of the DLC, was the buggiest the game ever got for me. I had to reload checkpoints several times after really getting frustrated, trying to figure out what I needed to do, and finally giving up and going and finding a walkthrough. And then being like, oh, wait, this just isn't working, and it should be working. I had to reload the chapter. Huh, okay. Which was annoying. Um, was um, one... I didn't have any of those... I definitely had to look up a walkthrough for that chapter. I remember that, but uh, I didn't have anything buggy happen on my end. So so there's a table that you're supposed to jump on to get on some shelves to open a door. And I could not reach that table. And it just convinced me. I'm like, oh, I guess I don't need to get up on that table because my character literally can't do it. And then I finally give him watch this fucking walkthrough. And the guy just jumps up first time and gets to the table. And so then I go try like 20 more times to get on the table can't do it not grabbing the lip of the table reload the checkpoint jump on it once and it works <laughs> like huh. it was just weird okay. things like that where i'm like i know it's not me because the platforming's not really that hard in this game like sure it's kind of weighty and heavy so you can fuck it up but like it's not like that bad <laughs> where it's that inconsistent so yeah i just feel like there's a couple of moments where like it's like this just isn't working because the dlc isn't working it's not me which is just a tad frustrating um what do you think of the the shadow people in the end of chapter three. The Alan Wake section. Yeah. For the most part, I really liked them until the end bit with them. There's like a hundred of them that I was like frustrated because again, I kept dying. I have to move that stupid crank like 10 times. And I was like, okay, I'm done. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was different adding combat to the game. Not, you know, it wasn't um, amazing, but I thought it was neat. A way to change up the gameplay at least. Yeah, I feel like that whole, like the combat, yeah, I felt was interesting. It was also interesting because normally the right stick will tilt the camera around so you could get a little bit of a glimpse ahead or just look up if you need to. But when there's enemies around, the right stick changes to you pointing your flashlight. Uh, So, like, there was a couple times when I felt like, oh, well, there's an enemy over there. Maybe I'll get him, but the combat hadn't quite triggered yet. Uh, Just a super minor complaint there, but yeah, once you get into it, it's mainly just, you know, pointing and being able to see the little masks in the darkness as they approach. Yeah, which for the most part I liked. Um, If you are somehow listening to the spoiler section and still want to play the game uh, and haven't yet, once you finally fully open the door with the crank in that bit, just run for the door. (laughs) Don't try to fight everybody. It won't work. If you, the second I decided I'm just going to run for it, it worked first time. So it's clearly designed for that. It's just a weird moment where like I feel like they were encouraging me to fight, and it just was a tad frustrating. Yeah, I did, I did like that entire Chapter 3 sort of puzzle area. And again, yeah. with Chapter 2, where you're sort of branching out to different areas, finding things, and then bringing them back to the main area. 
whereas the main game would be you're doing these sort of tiny set piece rooms one after the other this is sort of here's a couple of them and they're going to be a little shorter than normal but you're going to do a bunch of them and then always come back to this main location i i actually really like that structure it feels a lot more like a more traditional survival horror like a resident evil or something where you like you have one you know area that you're constantly coming back to may as well be a hub area for all intents and purposes yeah i i enjoyed that structure i thought it was a neat thing i wonder if we'll see that revisited in part two um what did you think of the ending twist to that uh of the main game or the the dlc of the dlc man i (laughs) i got so sad when i saw that that was the room we walked into i'm like oh dang (laughs) yeah because that moment in the main game is so shocking we were like oh god (laughs) So then you see him walk in. I'm like, oh, no, don't pick up the sausage, little dude. (laughs) I do like that they don't even show the end part. They're like, you know, you know, you played the main game. You're just going to cut to him holding the sausage. That was the part I was referencing was the only story moment. I was like, oh, that's really cool. (laughs) I like that. Um, It's sad, but I I, I like that twist. Yeah. The earlier connection where he was the kid in the cage that gets pulled away. It's like, okay, that's neat, but not specific this was like oh yeah this dude gets fucking eaten it does bring a part it does kind of bring an issue where i again about the game's theme because playing the main game to me i was like okay they're cooking these children and eating these children clearly that's what's happening this is human that's what's happening but then in the dlc they're making into gnomes Mm Mm-hmm. so what's the game about (laughs) which one is it um, I believe it's, well, because it's her that, it's the geisha that turns them into a gnome, right? No, it's the, uh, it's the uh, janitor. No, the janitor just ties him up and sends him to the cook. Right? I don't think so. I think the janitor ties you up and the next scene is you as the gnome. Because so you do go up to the, the geisha's house and then you fight the little shadowlings and then i thought it was her that she turns you into a gnome and then you walk backwards and i assume she turns you into the shadows like the lights do no i'm pretty sure she's the one that turns you into the gnome see it's a bit muddled (laughs) (laughs) it's a little bit and it doesn't make any sense because like because then it implies like oh all the gnomes are people or children at the very least so what's the gluttony thing it just doesn't it doesn't work cohesively like it it feel i don't know it just doesn't really make a lot of sense and i'm hoping too we'll have a little bit more connections to that stuff hi dustin here with a quick late breaking post-production correction uh it turns out after copious amounts of research i was wrong and connor was right the geisha does turn the DLC character into the gnome. Just wanted to make that correction while I was doing the editing. Anyway, I apologize for my wrongness. I hope you can forgive me and back to the normal show. Yeah, me too. Um, the Yeah, I don't know, because it definitely feels like the kids and the gnomes serve a similar purpose where... I assume they just work for the ship. Like, I guess the kids don't. They're just in the prison. Well, they're in then, cages. Yeah. They're yeah. 
presumably to be eaten or turned into gnomes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, guess I guess they're eating a... like sausages and stuff. Those could be human sausages. I don't know. Uh, I believe they are actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, because there's that body bag you push into the winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is real gross. Uh, but the end. The ending of the main game when, uh, you sort of when six takes on the geisha's power to like i guess consume souls and then she's walking forward and eating all of the patrons uh that was that was actually kind of spooky where i'm like oh well (laughs) it made me sort of rethink six's character instead of just being like this little kid that's like oh no i just need to get out it's like well does she have a connection to the geisha i mean you see the little uh foreshadowing at the beginning that sort of implies that there is some connection but then you know she just eats the geisha at the end and gains her power uh and then she just escapes where it's like okay she left the door open and the gnomes are free and that's cool but now what yeah i I don't know and like the, the power stuff doesn't really make any sense to me like it feels i like why is the geisha doing it you know like why is she doing any of the things she's doing (laughs) yeah i don't know because the we see the patrons get off of their boat and join and walk across the plank into the maw which is the name of the main boat and then we see them going into the restaurant and then eating and all that but then i guess when six gains the geisha's power that might imply that the geisha is doing this to sort of just fatten them up and then eat them for power. Yeah. But none of that's really clear either. So no. And like does now that she six, I assume it's a, she, I don't know. I checked out some reviews and they all said she, so I'm just going off of that. Um, yeah, I think the developers do as well. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I assume she's, if she took the geisha's power, can she now be killed with a mirror? <laughs> I, w- I was wondering that because I'm like, oh, well, she's going to be in like in danger of the light now because she's a shadow being. But then she just walks out into the sunlight and it's fine. So I don't think it's light. I think it's her own image. Well, I guess she reflects the light. I think it might be the image because all the mirrors in the place are shattered, but there are still lights. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Which is a cool detail. Uh, that would be interesting for the second game if you had to avoid mirrors somehow if they um the one thing i do know about the sequel is that it is a prequel to this game oh really yeah that's a, that's a little frustrating actually <laughs> given the story problems well maybe that'll maybe they can recon some ways to make that make sense shout out to the moment as much as i don't like the chef characters in a stealth context in the fourth chapter when one of them comes up the lift and you have to run into the bathroom and then the solution to getting out of the bathroom is breaking the mirror that was cool. Yeah, I found that I just sort of was messing around when I did that. But yeah, that was cool. I mean, I like that what that implies is that like there's always secret, secret, like gross things happening at every turn. Even when the room looks relatively normal, if a little creepy, there's probably even something worse behind the walls, which I think is neat. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that also is like this. I mean, maybe it's just the like geisha sort of peering in on everyone or keeping an eye on the the ma as a whole i don't Mm. know it's it's pretty interesting there is that um that like eye 
security camera in the DLC? Uh, yes, that was in the main game as well, but it's a lot more hidden. Yeah, in the DLC it's in Chapter 2, though, which doesn't, it's not really her area. I don't know. Um, yeah, there is a way to find that. I know what you're talking about, where you get to see the, through the eyes and see this room in front of it. Uh, there is a way to find it in the main game, I just didn't do it on my playthrough. Cool, that's cool to, to, to hear. Um, I will say... Again, contributing to like my issues with how the chapters are split up with 4 and 5 feeling different from the rest of the game to me. The early parts of this game are kind of obsessed with every room you go in seems to have a hanging body. Yeah, that's true. And drop that later on. Like, it's like I get the horror imagery of that. I, it, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's more that like it's not consistent through the experience. And so it kind of, it's again, it just contributes to a sense of disjointedness with the art design and the structure of it. Well, as you go, it's sort of as you go through the game, you're be, you're sort of moving up to where the actual patrons and the sort of heads are going to be there. They're not going to just leave hanging bodies around like the, the that's only fair. hanging body you really see in chapter three is in the freezer. Yeah, that's because uh, that's where they're hanging the meat. And then um, the only one that's really coming to mind is the one that's right at the start of the game. There's one in the um, in the like bathroom or the like bedroom that's i think also a bathroom that's very tall um where you can yes. find like the okay, murphy I... bed in the wall yeah, yeah yeah um and i think there's a couple more like it, it maybe i'm exaggerating maybe it wasn't as many as i thought but to me it felt like every room i went in if i panned the camera up there'd be a pair of legs um and then oh, i didn't do a lot that. of panning up so yeah you're probably right yeah it's just a weird thing to know um I'm trying to think of anything else specific i want to know it does have a lot of cool moments um I really like the end of chapter three where you're hanging on the meat hook running from the chefs. Um, oh, and I really liked in the, I, this might just be because I'm an idiot, but I didn't realize there was two chefs until you're in the room with both of them, which I thought was a cool. Oh reveal. yeah. <laughs> it was like, Oh shit. There's two of them. That's why <laughs> that was neat. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I noticed when you go into their bedroom because one of them was working and then they wouldn't have just gone to sleep immediately. Uh, plus there's two beds in that room. Well, and there's the room with two toilets, which is <laughs> wild, awful. There's no need for that. The <laughs> not fun to think about. Um, but yeah, then you get into where there's actually both of them, and you have to kind of pay attention to where both of them are in the room. Yeah, which stealth wise I didn't like, but I did like the reveal of like, oh fuck, there's another one. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Did you like the first DLC chapter where you're having to platform across water? Um, yeah, I didn't mind it. I felt like it was actually uh, the water platforming was kind of forgiving because you could crawl out of the water. Like you can't do it too many times. Otherwise, the monster will catch you. But you don't just fall to your death. So, yeah, I liked it, too. It, it really gave me um, like memories of running from the eel in Super Mario 64 or whatever, <laughs> you know. Like when you're yeah, it definitely has the same feeling of, um, like, the easy comparison would be the water monster in Amnesia, but I feel like a lot of games have done that since, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, and, I, and that one did have that sense of catharsis where you actually got to kill it <laughs> with the TV. Yeah, you, you push the TV into the water and electrocute it. I really just wanted but to kill those chefs, you know? <laughs> you just wanted I, I just wanted to chefs. kill those chefs. No, nope, instead you just slip me. away and they throw beer bottles at you wine bottles 
fuck that boss fight with the long ear, long, long armed fucker, whatever his name is. F- fuck hands, Big Mike. Yeah, I yeah that, boss I, fight that was, was the place I died the most. Yeah, me too. And, and I feel like there's not enough feedback on the the crate you're supposed to pull and break. So like I did that. It was like one of the first things I did. And I didn't, I was like, oh, this isn't working. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I died like 20 times before I thought to try it again, which was not fun. Yeah, I thought it was, um, you just had to avoid his hands and then the crate would eventually get squished. But when I saw that his animations was looping where he just kept, his arms would like reach the same points as they did over and over again. I'm like, okay, no, I should probably do something different. Yeah, it's just one of those moments where like, it's not very communicative which was to do which i think would have helped if the load times weren't so bad you know blah 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 same old same old story yeah D- getting to cut off fuck hands mcmike's arms though oh yeah that's great <laughs> brutal that's great um also the entire sequence where you turn on the tv awesome again it's very similar to the to the chef sequence where you get the key and you tie it into the bed we turn on the tv and at first you're like what the fuck's gonna happen He's in the same room as me. Oh, he's completely distracted because he can't see and the TV is super loud. So that was that was a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. But that's all that's coming to mind for now. Am I missing anything? No, I definitely find that this is a very interesting... Uh, obviously, it was you know published by Bandai Namco, but it's definitely an indie-styled game that uh, I got a lot of enjoyment out of. I... Uh, to be clear, I only spent $5 on the entire thing because <laughs> I found a sale for it. But yeah, definitely worth it. I think it goes on sale not too infrequently. So if you're looking to give it a shot there, you know, you listen to the spoilers already. But uh, you could definitely enjoy it. Uh, uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, set your expectations. I think, um, you know, think of it as you're going to see some cool horror art. Uh, that's yeah. kind well, of string together. Also, for the record, I have not played the ending of Limbo or any of Inside, so I guess that expectation just wasn't there for me at all. Which, you know, to be fair, isn't... I mean, I guess the game draws those comparisons just because of what kind of game it is. A horror platformer for puzzles, but, it, you know, it, it's a little unfair. <laughs> those games are like... Like, Inside is a masterpiece, it's like it's a it's a little unrealistic to <laughs> compare the two. Um, play inside. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend. But, uh, but definitely, if you're curious, give this game a shot. It's pretty and yeah, it's pretty fun. Definitely, and if you want a game like that, you could certainly do worse. Like it, it's it's cool. Um, and yeah, like you said, it goes on sale a lot, um, and it's got a sequel, which has a bunch of good reactions to it. So I'm excited to get to that. Oh, it does have collectibles. Did you spend any time trying to go for those? Uh, if I found them, I tried to grab them. I looked at like side areas to try and find them, but I did not scour for anything. It has, I think it has a really badly designed one, which is like you had to pick up bottles and throw them. <laughs> which uh, like, they're they're little statues whatever. of the geisha. Yeah. yeah, which like I I didn't know you had to throw them for it to count as a collectible because why would I? <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of instinctively did that because I saw the sort of foreshadowing and i'm like oh this is gonna be the evil so i gotta trash their stuff um yeah but that was just me it's not super clear yeah but i mean you don't really like there's no like true ending or anything you get for doing all that so it's fine it's just a thing to note the other collectible is you get to hug the gnomes which i didn't realize throughout my entire playthrough by the way 
Yeah, I found like one hidden one, uh, and I think it's the one that like pretty much everyone finds. That's in chapter four, but uh, yeah, you just you just pick them up, give them a little hug. Does that happen after you eat one of them? Um, y- yes. Okay, interesting. Yes, it it can. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, next up, of course, will be Little Nightmares 2 in two weeks. Very excited for that. Um, previously, we talked about... What was it? Uh, Concrete Genie. Well, yes. Which, yeah. So Concrete Genie was previously, so if you'd like to check that out, check out that episode. Yep, Little Nightmares 2 after this. Um, next week, we will be talking about the... We'll have another report out, um, but... Our big topic will be talking about the mobile game Very Little Nightmares, which is a fantastic name. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. Just, start, just started it today, and um, not something we'll spend a whole review on, but a little segment there um, if you're interested. Yeah, just to you know talk about it and experience it, because um, it doesn't seem like there's enough meat on those bones for a full episode. So, yeah, um, yeah, tune in for that, and I hope you hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, you can find this podcast and all updates at Save Station Radio on Twitter. Uh, Connor, where can the people find you? It's at Save Station Pod on Twitter oh, for, Save our, Pod. for our show. Um, Save Station Radio has too many characters for a Twitter URL, right. unfortunately. Right. Um, I'm at Conifer SSR. Uh, where can the people find you, Dustin? They can find me at Dustin H. Dragon. And shout out to Connor again for running the Save Station pod account <laughs> I feel like i forget <laughs> even to say though that. i don't change the pinned tweet for months it's fine <laughs> hey hey it's fine <laughs> we'll figure it out <laughs> um but yeah we usually would tweet out the new episodes and updates and stuff like that there um yep and every other week on this feed mostly you know sometimes we'll take a week off we do a report which is a more general like impressions of what we've been playing and, and news and stuff so so keep an eye on this feed we try to keep it active and yeah Um, please remember to be good to each other. Have a good day. Yeah, and take care. Bye.